0: All right, how's everyone doing? Good. We're going to be in First Thessalonians if you want to turn there. We're unintentionally doing some training for Belize next summer by meeting in this basement. Having it be a little bit warmer than normal. I actually think it feels pretty good, Justice. Justice and I have different different. Uh, probably ideas of what is a comfortable temperature. So if you walk into my office during the week, it's going to be a little bit warmer than if you walk into Justice's office. 80 degrees. (laughs) (laughs) That's maybe what the thermostat says. Um, The other cool thing is, uh, one of the churches that we serve in Belize, it's a lot smaller even than this area right here, Um, but there's like a bathroom. Well, it's actually on that side, but... It's kind of an interesting setup because when you're, when you're preaching or even if you're watching the preacher and people need to use the bathroom, it's like they're walking like within like three feet of him. So it's just kind of how it is in Belize. But we are going to have, um, by God's grace, uh, a mission trip next summer to Belize. So we invite all of you all to join us. It has been uh, sadly a few years because of COVID that we've been able to get, get down there. So um, Justice and I are actually hoping to potentially get down there uh, sometime in September, October, to touch base with uh, some of the pastors that we know and kind of uh, make sure we're we're set up for 2022. Praise God, because with technology, we can pretty much stay um, up to date with, with most of those uh, people that we know down there. So thank you for your continued prayers for them. All right, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 19. It says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the privilege of meeting together, even if it's in the basement, Lord. Thanks for the privilege of gathering with the saints to worship you. Thank you, God, that we even got a little bit of electricity so we can have a little breeze going. And, um, man, Lord, you are so good. Thank you that uh, we can come here, we can hear your word. Thank you, God, that uh, we have the, 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 the fans going, Lord, that even though it's a little bit harder to hear, and even I'm going to have to probably lose my voice by the end of this, um, your word can still go forth in faithfulness and truth. God, we do pray, and we thank you for this building. You've, uh, you've given it to us for almost, I think, 20 years. Uh, and we're close to paying it off. God, help us to be able to pay it off at the end of this year. That'd be a huge blessing. We thank you for the many uh, things that have happened in this church ministry. Look wise and the good things that you've done, Lord. And we thank you for this service today. Uh, we'll probably all remember it, meeting in the basement, and um, we'll look back and smile God because you were good to us. So fill us with your spirit now uh, for us to hear rightly from you. Amen. Okay, we're going to continue looking at, y'all are a little bit closer today. It's actually kind of nice, but a little bit, a little bit different. Uh, we're going to continue looking at the responsibilities of church members. Last week we focused on three duties in regards to worship. Y'all remember what those are? Well, maybe I should just give last week's... Wow, look at that. Maybe I should just give last week's sermon again. I think I sort of heard it. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Yeah, now you remember. Now you remember, yeah. Which really, if you think about it, preaching is really just reminding people sometimes of things that they already know and they just need to hear again. All right, so this week we're going to look, well, actually, I had planned on this looking at four more duties. I'm going to keep this sermon a little bit shorter today, so we're probably just going to look at one more duty. We'll see how it goes. But here's what I want to note once again, that um, the congregational worship is like the overarching banner that these commands fall under. So Paul's instructing us how church life works in a local church community. Now, they do have broader application. We're actually going to talk about that today and apply it to some different situations. But these commands apply uh, to any ministries that we're doing life together with. That could be like our Reformation Wednesday, which is our fellowship dinner and our prayer night. That could be our life groups that get together on Fridays. That could be things like our women's Bible study. It can be things like our men's prayer gatherings, among other things. But... Uh, What I want you to see is that these uh, staccato commands, as I'm calling them, have more congruity than it seems at first glance. So we'll, we'll continue to see this congruity on display today. Now let's look at these four verses, and let me just give you like a quick snapshot of these four verses because the first two are negative commands. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. And so what is Paul doing with those two verses is that he is warning us against... Um, Basically, he's warning us to rightly receive the Word of God. And what do we do with it once we receive it? Okay, what do we do when we receive the Word of God and what do we do with it? Do not quench your spirit. Do not receive, uh, do not despise prophecies. Then we have three positive commands. Test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. These are warning us against an outright acceptance of every single teaching we might ever hear, even if it's from a pulpit. We're supposed to test it. We're supposed to basically, it's kind of like eat the meat and and, uh, spit out the bones, okay? But if you're going to a church, or you're reading a book, or you're hearing something where there's more bones than meat, that's a bad sign, okay? There should be lots of meat and very few bones. So he's warning us against an outright acceptance of any teaching. That's why he calls us to test it. So let's look at do not quench the spirit. Uh, This is a a rare verb that Paul uses. Um, He actually uses it in Ephesians 6. We'll turn there in just a second. But it's usually used literally to extinguish a fire. So you got a fire going. You want to put it out. You can say, let's quench that fire. Why that imagery with the Spirit? Well, we get that imagery, you know, the little tongues of fire in Acts, right? We get that imagery of fire sometimes in regards to the Spirit. Paul uses it. Hold your place in 1 Thessalonians, but he uses it in Ephesians. We'll just take a quick look at it. So Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. So he says in verse 16 of chapter 6, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That word extinguish. Again, what's, what's the, the idea there? Like put out those darts that the enemy constantly is shooting at us, right? Same idea here for us. Don't point to the Spirit. Don't put out what the Spirit is doing. Don't stop hearing what the Spirit is trying to say to us. Don't put a stop to the work of Of the Spirit. Now think about it for a minute. We have dead churches and we have alive churches. Okay, what makes them dead or alive? The presence of the Spirit. But here's the thing what does that mean? Because Psalm 22 talks about what? The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. But can you have a dead church that sings worship songs? Oh yeah, right? I mean there are dead churches out there singing worship songs. Can you have a dead church that believes true doctrine? Yeah. You can have a dead church that believes true doctrine. So what's missing in those contexts? I mean we're gonna say the spirit, but what does that mean? I'd say the application of us receiving it and walking it out. You have to you can't just have true true doctrine. You actually have to have true practice of that doctrine. So we can, we can, you know, if you look on any church's website, I'd say almost any church, sadly that's even becoming less and less the case, but even churches that some of us might think are more liberal, if you look at their church website, and, and if they're bold enough to actually put their, their statement of faith on their website, which sadly more and more churches aren't doing, <clears throat> but if you look at it and if they have it, they can have right doctrine on there. I mean, all the way down to a T, the right doctrine, at least on paper. But what happens sometimes, and, I, and we've had people, and some of you have experienced it, you're, you're trying to find a church, and, and it looks like on paper things are legit, and then you go there and what's your experience? It's not legit. It's not legit. Now, there's a lot of great churches out there. I'm not saying that, but unfortunately there's a lot of not so great churches. But what makes it not so great when you're a guest at that church? It's because even though they might have the right doctrine on paper, they're not practicing it. They're not living it out. The Spirit is, is everywhere but there. So you can have a dead church that sings worship songs. You can have a dead church that believes true doctrine. You have to have the right application of that doctrine. You have to have people that truly believe what they're seeing is actually real, is actually legit, and is something that they're gonna practice in their own lives by the Spirit of God. So everyone who has true doctrine, everyone in here would probably say they have true doctrine, why? Because if you didn't think you had true doctrine, what would you do? you change it, right? If you, don't, if you think you're believing something false, what do you do? You stop believing it. So everyone in here thinks they have true doctrine, but you have to ensure that you display that doctrine in your life. You have to display it. Now, when you deny your doctrine, you deny the very one who inspired that doctrine to be written down as God's Word. You deny the Spirit. So you believe that Jesus defeated death. Is that displayed in your life? You believe that God reigns supreme. Is that displayed in your life? You believe that you are fallen and in great need of a Savior. Is that displayed in your life? Think about the Spirit being manifested and seen. We should see the Spirit manifested. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times when people think that, they think of spiritual gifts. That's one application of it. And we should see those gifts manifested. When you think about the Spirit being manifested, really the first thing that should come to your mind is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. So you want to see the Spirit manifested. We need people that are walking in the Spirit, displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control is at present in the leaders' lives of a church. Do you see it in the people that are set forth? You know, first the pastors, then maybe you put the deacons there, uh, the worship people. Is it present in their lives? Is it present in the members' lives? Because if we want the Spirit, if we want what Psalm 22 says, you are holy and enthroned on the praises of Israel. If we want that true for us, guess what? If we want the Spirit here, if we want God and himself, here amongst us, then we have to have not just right, what we might call orthodoxy, believing right things, we have to have what's called right orthopraxy. Okay, We are practicing the right things. Not just believing right things, but we practice the right things. This comes about by the Spirit Himself. Now has anyone ever asked you, is your church spirit-filled? Because I've had people ask me that. Usually what they mean is they're usually talking about um, what we might call the sign gifts. Speaking in tongues, interpretation of song, tongues, different things like that. I, I, <clears throat> I never like, laugh out loud when they ask me that, but I kind of chuckle inside. Because hopefully any, any church that's legit um, is going to be spirit-filled in the sense that the Bible talks about. Everything I've just explained in terms of having this fruit of the Spirit and walking those things out. Having orthodoxy and having orthopraxy. So, um, listen, I've been in charismatic churches where the Spirit was nowhere to be found. And I've been in traditional churches where the Spirit was flowing everywhere. Because why? It really goes back to the tone that is set. I'd say ultimately from what's coming from the leadership of the church, but then also what's coming from the members of the church. How are they walking in step with the spirit? Do we want the presence of the spirit in our midst? I hope the answer is yes, right? We want him here. Is the spirit welcome here? I hope so, right? But how do we quench the spirit? Think, Think of a campfire left unattended, what happens to a campfire? The flame dies out, right? Believers don't set out to quench the Spirit. I think most people, if they're believers, if they're really believers, if they're really walking with the Lord, if they're really walking in His ways, they don't intentionally set out to quench the Spirit. But listen, First, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you about seven, seven ways we can quench the spirit. First, <clears throat> I think this is gonna catch some of you off guard, by the way. I gotta get a drink of water first. It's like a dramatic pause. First, we can quench the spirit by neglect. Okay, it can it can appear unintentional on our part, but listen, if we haven't attended well to our souls Guess what we're doing? We're we're neglecting neglecting the Spirit. And then it's just like that campfire, that that fire is just going to burn out. So we have to neglect, we we can't neglect our souls. We have to tend to our souls first. Why? We got the Holy Spirit living inside us, right? So we got to tend to ourselves what? by a spiritual diet. All right? And guess what, friends? The Holy Spirit, He's hungry. All right? He's hungry, he wants to be fed. Really, it's us wanting to be fed. But he wants to feast on good things, right? So when we're giving ourselves a steady diet, we are giving ourselves what? We're receiving more and more of the Spirit. That's why we're commanded what? Be filled with the Spirit. Well, hopefully we're already filled, right? Right? From the moment of salvation, let me just make this clear. From the moment of salvation, a believer receives the Spirit. There's different aspects of being filled with the Spirit. So we get that initial feeling, uh, filling, and regeneration takes place, and God does His work. We are justified; the the work of sanctification begins. We are regenerated by the Spirit, and then we continue to walk that out. That happens instantaneously, but then we get commands. Actually, we're in Ephesians, but and we get commands: "What be filled with the Spirit." So what idea does that give us? So we get an initial feeling, but we can be filled more with the Spirit. Some people are more filled with the Spirit than others. It's just a fact. But why is that? Not because they're all super spiritual. Not because God loves them more. I'm just going to put before you that they have sought Him more diligently and let Him sanctify them more wholly. they sought Him more diligently and they're letting Him sanctify them more wholly. There are believers that are, that are 25 years old that act like they're baby Christians. And why is that? Because I believe two of those things. They haven't sought Him more diligently. They've neglected certain things. They haven't wanted to seek Him. <clears throat> and they haven't let the Spirit do the work in their hearts as fully as He wants to do. If you want to be more like Christ, look, it's not Christ that holds back. Think about that. It's not Christ that holds back. If you got sin in your life, if you got areas where you're struggling, it, it's not God that holds you back. God doesn't hold you back in those areas. You hold yourself back in those areas. So first, we can, we can quench the spirit by neglect. If you're not walking in the spirit, then you're quenching the spirit. And if you're not displaying the fruit of the spirit, you're quenching the spirit. You're holding the spirit back from the work he wants to do in you and the work that he wants to do through you. Second, we quench the spirit when we argue about petty things that disrupt unity instead of promote it. Look, at, <clears throat> we're in Ephesians, let's just look at one section in <coughs> chapter 4. says in chapter 4 verse 4 there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's a whole bunch of ones going on and when you add them together guess what? You get one. What's the idea there? If we have the Spirit, guess what? There's one body. If we have the Spirit, guess what? We have one faith. Not you don't have your faith, and you have your faith, and you have, we have a faith that comes from God Himself, and it is the faith. We have one baptism, and then we have one God and one Lord and Father overall. So, when, when we start arguing about petty things, things that don't matter, uh, secondary issues, tertiary issues. That promotes, not unity, but it promotes a disunity among brothers and sisters. That quenches the spirit so quickly and shuts down the work that God wants to do. Why? Because all of a sudden, it becomes like a pride contest, and I have to argue, and I have to prove my point. Listen, friends, one of the toughest lessons but biggest lessons I've learned since I got saved like 25 years ago, like some of those things... You just gotta let them go. And you don't have to be right on every single thing. And you don't have to win every single argument. When I first got saved in my first few years, it was like, oh, I had to prove every person why my position was correct. You're only, you're only gonna just lose friends. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm willing to have a healthy debate, all right? Even to this day. But it, it, some, some hills just aren't worth dying on. Some hills aren't worth dying on. Now, there are hills worth dying on, okay? And we need more people willing to die on those hills But some hills aren't worth dying on. So second, we quench the spirit when we argue about petty things that disrupt unity. Third, we quench the spirit by trying to be the spirit. What do I mean by that? Like we think we know what's best so then we speak our own man's wisdom into that situation and end up doing more harm than we do good. Listen, we don't know the secret will of God. We don't know his secret will. We know his revealed will, but we don't know his secret will. If someone comes and asks me, "Oh, I'm <clears throat> I'm interested in this person, a young a young man or young woman comes and I'm interested in this person, like I don't know what God's will is in that situation." I can give my advice as best as the scriptures have led me and informed me. But if if they're if they're both believers, I can't say no you shouldn't marry them. Now I might say, here's some things I think you should think about. Here's some here's some maybe yellow flags I see that maybe you need to make sure you work through. And I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying I can't say, Yes, that's the right person for you without a doubt. I can't say that. That god, god knows what's best, and we have to seek him for enlightenment. But to say absolutely one hundred percent No, that's not not our place. We have to be careful that we're not trying to be the Spirit and speak as if we know. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 29. verse in Deuteronomy 29 it says the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law okay so there's two aspects and there's different theologians use different terms for it but there's the revealed will like sometimes we're like oh what should I do in this situation well God's clearly spoken to thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of situations quite clearly in His Word, that we know what to do. Okay. Other situations, like I just gave the example of, it, it's not clear. God does not say in His Bible, you should marry you know, Mary Jane or something like that. He just doesn't. Now, are there principles? Yes. But unless He reveals that to you in some dramatic way, clearly apart from His Word, we just don't know and we have to accept that. So third, we quench the spirit by trying to be the spirit. Don't act like you know his secret will. Fourth, we quench the spirit by speaking too much. And some of you have that problem. Just gonna be honest. We think what we speak is wisdom, and so we we talk and we talk and we talk and we talk, but we're just talking, all right? And sometimes the spirit wants you to be quiet, you can hear from him. And a lot of times when we're just talking and talking and talking, we're given man's wisdom and not God's wisdom. So make sure when you're speaking to a situation, you're not just just blabbing. When you're giving wisdom and counsel and advice, you're not just shooting from the hip. That's not going to do anyone any good. The greatest thing you can do for any brother or sister in Christ when you're dealing with this situation and you're not sure what to say is just say, I'm not sure what to say. Just admit that. Nobody knows it all. Nobody, nobody, okay? God himself, yes, but none of us. We don't know at all. And there are situations even some of the most trained counselors come upon and they're not quite sure what to do. And before they address that situation, they have to get some wisdom and input from other people who have more experience and wisdom in that area. So we can quench the spirit by speaking too much. But fifth, we can quench the spirit by not speaking enough. Sometimes we're in situations that we know we should speak up in. We know God's put us in that situation to be salt and light. He's placed us in a particular situation and He wants us to speak biblical truth to that situation. Yet, what do we do? We're quiet. We don't speak up. We're we're quenching the Spirit. Listen, God has gifted us to do the work that He has appointed us to do. Um, for some reason, we keep going back to Ephesians. That was not my plan. I only had one verse from Ephesians. But I want you to see this. <clears throat> we, met, uh, we met with some people recently that are going to be joining the church. And this was one of the verses I was sharing with them. In verse 11, Ephesians 4, he says in verse 11, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, so what's the point of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and shepherds and teachers? What's their purpose? Equip the saints. But what's the saints' purpose? Build up the body of Christ. Okay, so... All those uh, titles listed there are supposed to equip the saints for ministry. And what do the saints do? They build up the body of Christ. They take those those things that, that they have, those giftings that they have, and then they employ them by the Spirit in ministering to others. That's why he goes on. Until we all attain, verse 13, to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The whole point is we're working together to become more like Christ. What is it, where does that take us? That takes us all the way back to the beginning point of the work of the Spirit and, and sanctification. Okay, I mean there's a lot of congruity. It all ties together here. It goes on even verse 14. So that we, we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. That actually gets into the next verse of Thessalonians that we're going to talk about when you think about it. Don't despise prophecies, right? Test everything. Hold fast that which is good. Part of that's why. So you're not tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and 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 deceitful schemes, okay? Okay, so we can quench the Spirit by not speaking it up. God has gifted us. This is the application. God's gifted each one of us You're being trained. Why? For works of ministry inside the church and outside the church. So that when you're in that situation, you can have the confidence that you're filled with the Spirit. That you've been trained. That you can speak to that situation. If God wanted you, you're like, oh, I just need a little bit more training. Oh, I just need a little bit more study. Listen, if God wanted you in that situation with a little bit more training, a little bit more study, He would have saved that situation for you for next year or for five years or for ten years. Now He put you there right now. Speak to the best of the building that you can with the knowledge that you have. A lot of times we just use that as an excuse anyway. Oh, I need to study more, so I won't speak. Oh, I need to look into it more. No, God has you there. Speak into the situation. If you wanted someone else there, it'd be sometimes, oh, that person knows so much. If God wanted that person to know so much, he'd put them in that situation. But he's got you in that situation. So speak and don't quench the spirit. Six, we quench the spirit by having the focus be on us and our giftings. Okay, listen, you're gonna be in those situations and you're gonna speak to it, and and sometimes you're gonna do a good job. Sometimes you're gonna fall flat on your face, and that's okay because I do too. But sometimes you're gonna do a good job. You're gonna have a tendency to wanna get puffed up. Okay, Don't quench the spirit. Don't walk in that manner. Don't quench the spirit by having the focus on you and your giftings. Man, if you you knock it out of the park, make sure you give the glory to God. If you knock it out of the park, make sure you give Him the, the glory and the praise. Okay, if you want to best display the spirit to others, guess what you need to do? Walk in humility. Walk in humility. Even Colossians talks about that, right? What are we supposed to do with humility? There's like this... Interesting word that Paul uses there. Y'all know what it is? Most versions say, like, clothe yourself. Some versions say walk, but I like the idea of clothe, like you're putting it on, right? It's like a a, a piece of clothing that you're entirely covering yourself with. Clothe yourselves with humility. Get rid of pride. Look, the, the moon should never go about bragging how big and bright it is when the sun's standing right next to it. Right? I mean, think about it. What should it do? Oh, look at the sun. The moon should be pointing to the sun. Okay, so when we're walking around and and we're all prideful, it's like we got this tiny little glow and and we think we're the sun. All right, we look foolish. Don't quench the spirit that way. Seventh, we quench the spirit by our attitudes. We quench the spirit by our attitudes. Friends, when we walk into a worship service just like this every Sunday, when we walk into a life, when we walk into a Bible study, what we bring in with us helps set the stage for what God wants to accomplish that day. In others, but also in you. Listen, there was a lot of setup today for this service with all the chairs and stuff. and um, Justice and I texting back and forth, talking with other people. Uh, we're set, we were in the stage, so to speak, right? Um, but when we come in, our attitude sets the stage for what God can do in us that day and what God can do in, in, through us that day. Um, I've been in church services, prayer meetings, where uh, one person can start to derail that whole thing because they came in with a, the wrong mind frame. They came in with a bad attitude. They came in with bitterness. They came in with unforgiveness. Those things can affect those around you without you even realizing it. Don't quench the spirit. Because if, you, if you're if you carrying that stuff around, that's why Jesus does like cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because one, you can't deal with it. But, but two, he can deal with it. But three, he wants to do some other stuff in you. And if you're always carrying like a bunch of la- uh, luggage around, guess what you can't do? You can't bear other people's burdens. You got so many burdens yourself. You got, you got all that luggage, you know. You, if you've ever, I'm sure you've all been to the airport, and you're trying to, you know, carry th- three or four bags. Well, if you got your own luggage, you can't bear other people's luggage. They've got burdens too. And if you're carrying all that stuff around, man, it just drags you down. It dra- it's one of the reasons it's almost it's like when I go shopping, I try to make it my goal not to take a shopping cart with me. It's very inconvenient at times. But one, I just feel like I can move quicker past people, you know. I just like to go in and get out. I look pretty ridiculous by the end of my trip sometimes because I got like three cases of soda and I'm like, okay. <clears throat> but friends, we can be burdened by different things like that, and those burdens hinder us from ministering to others. And then guess what? We're so focused, you know, because by the time I'm walking out of, the, you know, of, of Walmart or wherever, like all I'm doing is focused on getting to the car without spilling everything all over the place. We're focused on the burdens we're carrying. And guess what? We get me focused, and then we stop focusing on others and some of the hurts and pains that they have that they need ministering to. So we don't want... When we come... Listen, I don't know how y'all, y'all get to church each week. I usually come by myself because I get here really early in the morning. But that time for me is like a time to prep uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually uh, for what I'm going to do right now. Okay, And for me, coming into God's presence... I'd encourage you to do the same thing. Like the last thing I'm trying to do when I'm coming to church is like uh, listen to sports radio or listen to some, I either am listening to some, you know, sermon or podcast from someone else or I'm I'm listening to worship music. Some of you with younger children, you know, put on, you know, 99.1 or try to set a tone that helps create an environment that puts you at a place where you need to be walking into that service. I get it. That's not always possible. Some of us have heavy burdens, but guess what? Still come to church with those heavy burdens, but let it be known to others that we that don't have those burdens and we're not carrying the luggage, we can help you out. We can carry those burdens, right? Bear one another burdens Galatians 6 talks about. So seventh, we can quench the Spirit by our attitudes. Listen, and I'll just conclude. Without the Spirit, we are devoid of life. All right, without the Spirit, we are devoid of life. We might have physical life, but we are devoid of real life. Life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit. It's in Him that we have life. And friends, brothers, sisters, we, we don't want to quench that life. We don't want to quench it. That's what, Paul's, that's what Paul's commanding against is us quenching the Spirit. When you shut down the Spirit, you really shut down the very person that God has created you to be, the very thing that He wants you to be. If you have no Spirit, you have no true life. You need the Spirit. And here's the thing. He's kind of like the forgotten member of the Trinity, right? Because we have the second member. We have the Son. He comes in flesh, and he's on this earth for about three, three and a half years. And so, and we can read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We can see. I mean, so we can get this image, this image in our mind of you know Jesus and and what he looked like as a rabbi. and We can have a really clear picture. And then we even get uh, some uh, theophanies of God in the Old Testament. And we have the Father speaking to the Son in the Gospels, and at other points, the Father is addressing people, right? But then it's like, what about the Spirit? It's like, he's like, it's interesting because he's like kind of quiet, but I'd say he's the loudest, okay? Because this right here is all from the Spirit. He's not very quiet, right? He's got a whole lot of speaking to do if we're willing to listen to Him. And we got to listen. If we want to listen, we're going to be diving into this. this. This is the standard that we're going to get into next week about testing the prophecies, holding fast to that which is good, abstaining from every form of evil. I mean this right here. This is how we're going to test the prophecies. But let's not quench. All right. It's in Him that we have life. It's in him that we we move. I mean, Paul says that in in Acts 17, we we have life in him. We, We have our breath. We have our being. We are created by God to walk in his ways every single step of the way. So let's do that. Let's do that. Let's walk faithfully before the Lord. Let's seek him. Has anyone ever prayed? Spirit, fill me. I mean, if you're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, guess what? It's okay to pray a prayer like that. I prayed it a lot of times when I know I'm not where I need to be, where I know my heart's not. i like, "Oh Lord, change my heart. Lord, fill me with Your Spirit, because I can't do it on my own. Fill me." I prayed quite a bit actually, because I need the Spirit, and guess what? Y'all need the Spirit too. We need Him filling us to walk rightly before Him. Let's pray.